0: what the real Jesus is, as we see it in Scripture. And I want to share with you this evening something concerning serving God. Remember, we saw that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make us like Jesus. First of all, to show us the glory of Jesus. And then, to make us like Him. So, if we if we don't see the real Jesus clearly first, we're going to be like the false Jesus. You know, there's a verse, I don't know whether you've seen this verse, I want to show it to you in Psalm 115. In Psalm 115, I want to encourage you if you've got a Bible to turn to these verses, because that's how we become familiar with the Bible. It's very important that Christians become familiar with their Bibles. And uh, and let me repeat what I said earlier. Anytime you read a verse or hear a verse, you don't know what it contains, stop, pick up your Bible, turn to that verse. I've done that for 45 years and I've come to know the Scriptures. Anytime you hear a verse quoted in a meeting or a verse quoted in a book and you don't know what it says, Put the book down. Turn to the Bible in the meeting. Look at that verse. And I tell you, in one year, you'll know more of the Bible than you probably know so far. Now, it says in Psalm 115 about idols, about people who make idols. Idols, verse 4, of silver and gold and various descriptions of how the idol is. And then, I want you to see this verse. Verse 8, it says, Those who make them will become like them. We become like the God we worship. And he's saying here that if you worship an idol, you'll be, he's talking about in verse 5 to 7, that these idols are lifeless. And if you worship a lifeless idol, you'll become lifeless yourself, spiritually. Now the same thing applies to our seeing the glory of Jesus. If the Jesus you have seen, because that's the Jesus you heard from various preachers, is the false Jesus. You know what's going to happen to you? According to this verse, you'll be like that one. You'll be like that false Jesus that you heard of. And that's why it's very important to know the scriptures. Because there's only one book in the whole world That tells us what the real Jesus is like. And that's the Bible. So if you don't know the Bible, you're going to have preachers who are going to fool you, deceive you. One reason why I keep quoting scripture is because I don't want your faith to rest on the fact that you know that I'm a man of integrity. That's not good enough. I never want you to develop the habit of trusting even a godly man If he can't show it to you from Scripture, you must be able to see it in Scripture. You know, when Paul wrote to many of the churches, to the Ephesians, to the Galatians, very often to a number of churches like the Galatians, the Corinthians, and the Thessalonians, there were many, many doctrines he had to correct. There was another place where Paul went and planted a church. It's a place called Berea. And you know why there's no epistle of Paul to the Bereans? I'll tell you why. Because the Bereans had a very good habit, which apparently none of the other people had. And if you have that habit, you'll be protected from a lot of wrong doctrines. Paul did not have to write to correct any wrong doctrine in Berea, because... Those Berean Christians had this attitude described in Acts 17 and verse 10 and 11. Paul and Silas went to Berea and there they arrived and went to the synagogue of the Jews. And Acts 17 and verse 11 says, These Berean Christians were more noble minded than those in Thessalonica. Now there's a church that Paul planted in Thessalonica. But these folks in Berea were more noble-minded than them. The Holy Spirit says that. What is the reason? First of all, they received the word with great eagerness. And then they examined the scriptures, not once in a while, but daily, to see whether these things were actually so. Here was the great apostle Paul, standing in the pulpit with all this tremendous ministry behind him. You read what fantastic... Revival he had in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 in Thessalonica. And then he comes in Thessalonica. They said, this is the man who's turned the world upside down in verse 6. So the man who's turned the world upside down comes to Berea with his reputation behind him. Here is a great man of God who's turned the world upside down. He's going to come and hear him. And they come and hear him. And um, Paul says, well, what do you think about what I said? Well, Paul, we've got to go and check the scriptures. We don't care if you're the man who turned the world upside down. We've got to check the scriptures. And we'll come back and tell you next week whether we agree with you or not. What a wonderful habit to have. That even if a man who's turned the world upside down comes here and preaches in this pulpit. You say, well, brother, we'd like to check up in the scriptures whether what you say is right or wrong. You won't need any episode written for you then. That's the reason. They had that habit with every preacher. It doesn't matter who it was, even if it the great apostle Paul. And I want to tell you that that's the thing that's protected me through more than 40 years. And that's the thing that's led me on from one. uh, I've left many churches in my life from one to another, to another, to another. You know, people have told me, Brother Zach, you're so unstable. You leave one church and you go to another church, then you leave that and you go to another church. I said, I've been like that all my life. I left first grade and went to second grade and then I left second grade and went to third grade and left that and went to fourth grade. I've been unstable all my life from childhood. I'm not one of these stable people who stay in first grade all my life. <laughs> now, if you want to be stable like that, that's fine. But I don't want to be stable like that. I want to go on. So there's no virtue in a stability that keeps you in first grade all your life. If you find something better, you've got to move on. Particularly something more in line with Scripture. So... The Holy Spirit has come to change us into the likeness of Jesus. And we've got to see the real Jesus in order to be transformed into His likeness. And when we say transformed into His likeness, there are two parts to it. One is character and the other is ministry. Now many people, when they think about becoming Christ-like, they think only in terms of character. I've got to be humble, i got to be loving, I've got to be good, i got... All that's right. But if that leaves you just improving yourself and there's no ministry you haven't become like jesus because jesus as i said was always concerned about other people he came all the way from heaven because he was concerned about other people he wasn't just becoming holier sitting in nazareth even in nazareth before he went out to preach i think he was thinking of other people and certainly in the last three and a half years of his ministry of his life which is described more in detail Boy, what a ministry he had. He did more in three and a half years than other people have done in hundreds of years. And to become like Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows us the way Jesus conducted His ministry. Do you want to be like Jesus only in His life? In the way He lived? Or do you also want to be like Jesus in His ministry? Remember what I said, those who worship idols become like them. You become like the God you worship the more you see clearly how Jesus lived and how He served the Father, the more the Holy Spirit will say to you, do you want to be like that? I won't force you. God loves a cheerful giver. Not only a cheerful giver of money, He loves a cheerful giver of obedience. God doesn't want this Old Testament type of obedience. You know, in the Old Testament, um, they had to give, let's say, sacrifices or tithes. But there was no rule in the Old Testament that You can't come with a grumpy long face and give a sacrifice. You'll permit it. You could come and uh, give your tithe with a long face and say, Okay, here you are. You had obeyed God. But not in the New Testament. In the New Testament it says, God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want anybody to come with long faces and do anything for Him. You see, you can hear um, a message like you heard last night that Jesus never sought His own. And all the children of Adam seek their own. They're only interested in themselves and their family. How will this benefit me and my family? And they don't seek the glory of God and His kingdom. And you can hear that and get all stirred up. I mean, if I were one of these preachers who had mastered in psychology, I'd proceed on from there and say, What are you fellas doing? Why don't you get out in the mission field? Why don't you... I don't say that. And there's a reason I don't say that. Because no man can tell you where you should go Or what your ministry should be. You got to listen to God yourself. Don't think that um, just going off to India or Africa or China. uh, To some difficult place. To some unreached area of the world. Will make you more spiritual. I come from a country with a lot of unreached areas. And I've seen missionaries who spent 30, 40 years in India. I'm sure with great great sacrifice. They are some of the grumpiest and nastiest people I've met on the face of the earth. They didn't become spiritual. You don't become spiritual by going to a foreign country. No. And then there are others who are such sweet saints. So it didn't come by going to a country. You, do you think you can become spiritual by going to Africa? You've got to be crazy. How, how can you become spiritual by going to Africa? You become spiritual by looking at Jesus. Not by going out to some country and not by giving up your job and going into full-time work. I, I've met hundreds of full-time workers in India. The, they are the, some of the laziest people on the face of the earth. You know, so don't think that you hear a message like this and say, okay, I'm going to leave my job, I'm going to go back and resign my job, and I'm going to go off to some country. You're not going to become spiritual, and you're not going to be obeying God. The most important thing is to listen to what God wants you to do. Do you know that Jesus never went to Africa? Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus never went to China? Do you know there were thousands dying in sin in India and Jesus never came there? There are lots and lots. In fact, He never went outside of Israel except one or two small visits to Tyre and Sidon and things like that. And yet at the end of His life, He could say to His Father, Father, I have finished the work You gave Me to do. Listen to that, John 17:4. I have glorified You on earth by finishing the work You gave Me to do. It's a very beautiful paraphrase. I read the Living Bible a lot. Not for study, because it's not a translation. I read the New American Standard Bible for study. But I read the Living Bible, which is a very beautiful paraphrase. And sometimes it brings out the meaning of a verse in some places. I really love it. And the paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 4 2. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, it says here it's required of stewards that a man be found trustworthy. And the paraphrase of that verse in 1 Corinthians four two, which I believe is the right meaning, is this. The most important thing about a servant is that he does just what his master tells him to do. Did you get that? The most important thing about a servant is that he does just what his master tells him to do. See, that's how Jesus served the Father. He didn't just go around doing, like they say, let's do something for God. That sounds very spiritual. Let's do, come on brother, let's do something for God. You know what Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. It doesn't stop there. That's the point. Thy will be done on earth, that's in my life, as it is done in heaven. Now, how is God's will done in heaven by the angels? And Michael doesn't go to Gabriel and say, hey, let's do something for God today. They don't do like that. They wait on the Father and say, Father, Now they can't call him Father, sorry. God, what can you do? What do you want us to do? And God may say, okay, go and do this. And they go and do that and come back. They do it immediately. They do it joyfully they drop whatever else they're doing and they go and do it. But they don't move till God tells them to. Have you thought about that? That's how Jesus lived. That's how His ministry was. You know, He was there in the Garden of Eden, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. They planned together to make Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned. And uh, God said to Adam, well, the seed of the woman is going to come and um, it'll crush the serpent's head. And I don't know whether you know this, that Eve thought that that meant her first child, the seed of the woman, would crush the serpent's head. She thought, I mean, she didn't know all about the mystery of the virgin birth and all, but she thought the seed of the woman... He's going to crush the serpent's head. And that's why the Bible says in Genesis 4.1 when Adam had relations with his wife Eve she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And the meaning and um, she said I have gotten a man-child even the Lord. I have gotten a man-child That's Jehovah. That's a real translation of that verse. She thought that was Jehovah who had come in human form. It wasn't. You know, Cain was a murderer. But she thought God would immediately send His Son because sin had come into the world. Now what would you have done if you were in God's place? When would you have sent Jesus? I think If I were there, I would have sent Jesus immediately. The first child sent Jesus immediately through Eve, before even she has any relations with Adam. But God didn't do that. He didn't send Jesus for 4,000 years with all the mess that was on the earth. Jesus waited. The world was dying in sin. People were going to hell by the millions. Can you sit comfortably in heaven? When millions are going to hell? I suppose you couldn't. But Jesus could. Because he wasn't the restless type like some of us are. He was the obedient type. He wanted to hear the Father. He wasn't motivated by millions are going to hell. It sounds a good motivation. A lot of missionary preachers use it. I wish I could, you could find it in the Bible. I don't find it in the Bible. I told you I could spend a whole hour telling you things which I preached today which are not in the Bible. And this is one of those things. Millions are going to hell. What are you doing? Okay. I'm a Burian. I like to I'd say, brother, show that to me in the scriptures. You know, Jesus saw that in heaven, and I'll tell you, Jesus had more compassion for lost sinners than anybody sitting here. But he didn't move. He didn't move till his father said, Go. Then he went. Four thousand years. He sat there, seeing millions going to hell, and he didn't move. Did he seek his own? No. He didn't even seek his own for the adventure of a missionary life. I've seen people come to India as missionaries. It's the adventure. Going. You know, usually these adventurers come on short-term missionary trips—three months, two months. Go and get stuff, come back home. It's not like the old-time missionaries who came a hundred years ago, who committed themselves for life. People like Amy Carmichael, who came to India, never went back for fifty years. They were called by God, what a work they did! Their work lasts for years, thousands, millions. Of people are blessed through her writings around the world. These were men and women of God. But a lot of others are adventurers. They come seeking adventure. And there's, you know, you, you can think, particularly when you're young, let's do something for God. And you don't have time to listen to God. You don't have time to wait. You're the restless type. Now, all I want to try to show you is, if you've got a restless Jesus, you'll become, you'll become like that restless Jesus. I worship the real Jesus who is always at rest. Now, this may change your theology. It changed mine. But it made my life so much more fruitful. When I learned to serve God like Jesus served the Father. He didn't go running around here and there doing something. Think of a great vineyard that the Father has. And isn't it wonderful if the Father can tell me, listen, you should go there now. And I go there, and the fruit's ready to drop. I just got to keep the basket underneath the fruit drops. And I just collect it. And then I wait on the father sometime and it's almost as though I'm doing nothing. And then the father says, go there. And I go there and the fruit's ready to drop. Now if I didn't consult the father, and I say, I've got to do something for God with my one life in this vineyard. And I run around here and there and I wait under a tree, which is still green. And I wait there 25 years and finally the fruit drops. I've wasted 25 years of my life. In those 25 years, if I had listened to the Father, He could have sent, sent me to a hundred different places and I collected a lot more fruit. Which is a better way to do it? Run around doing something for God in the vineyard or wait on the master of the vineyard and say, Dad, yeah, I call him Dad, by the way. Dad, where do you want me to go now? Well, I mean, you know where the fruit is, ripe. Right? I don't know. Uh, tell me where you want me to go. And then you tell me, go there. That's how Jesus lived. You know where I learned that from? From Jesus. That He could sit 4,000 years in heaven and not move. And then He came to earth and He lived another 30 years actually seeing with His own eyes people going to hell. Never did a thing about it. Can you do that? Can you sit for 30 years making stools and benches when people are going to hell or are you more spiritual than Jesus the trouble is we have a whole lot of christians today who think they're more spiritual than Jesus i'd like to see 30 years later what is the result of that work it'll be wood hay and straw i'll predict it right now you can't be more spiritual than Jesus if you want to serve god i'm telling you i've been in full time full time christian work for Forty years nearly. Now I'm telling you from my experience, you can't do it better than Jesus did it. Learn from Him. Jesus said, learn from Me. Take My yoke upon you. And the yoke is a picture of service. You know, two bullocks under one yoke plowing a field. And the Lord saying, take My yoke upon you. Let's do this together. It's the senior bullock teaching the junior bullock how to plow a straight furrow in the field. Here's the inexperienced bullock, that's me. And the experienced senior one, one who became like me, Jesus. He's saying, take the other end of the yoke on your neck. And I'll teach you, if you listen to me, if you don't rush ahead of me. You know, I don't know whether you've seen, we see it all the time in India, bullocks. Two bullocks with a yoke on their neck. And you know when you got a yoke on your neck with another bullock, you can't go faster than the other one. You can't go slower than the other one and you can't go in a different direction from the other one. You're just stuck with that other one. Do you want to be stuck with Jesus like that? I want to. I say, sure Lord, I want to be stuck with you for life. And I don't want to rush ahead of you. I don't want to lag behind you. I don't want to go in a different direction. The Lord says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's like the senior bullock telling the junior bullock, listen, you you don't know how to plow a straight furrow. If I leave you alone, you'll go wander and mess up this place. Just put my yoke upon you. Humble yourself. listen to me. You think you know a lot. That's because you're young and foolish and stupid. But if you listen to me, uh, I'll teach you something. And if you're humble enough and say, "Lord, I want to learn." I don't want to be influenced by the teachings of men. And the books that men write which stir me, these great masters of psychology who know how to manipulate human beings, who know how to stir human beings to do this, that or the other. Karl Marx stirred people to be communists. And they are fervent. They are more fervent than most missionaries. The early communists were fervent through psychological manipulation of the human mind to get for a cause, for something that seemed worthy, and there are, today you're reading the papers of these religious fundamentalists who stir people to become suicide bombers. Boy, isn't that something? How many of us would be willing to be suicide bombers for our religion? These are fervent people. They're stirred. They're stirred with promises of reward if they are martyrs, and we know it's all false. But we can stir people like that in Christendom too, with Jesus never did it. He was so calm and at rest, he could make stools and benches patiently planing away that table while hundreds were going to hell. Can you do it? You can do it if you know the real Jesus. Because you're called. Not to do this, that and the other. Not to run around trying to do something for God. But to listen. A habit which I have found less than 1% of believers are even interested in having. The Christian world in service is divided between Marys and Marthas. And you see in Luke chapter 10 verse 38 to 42 the Marys and the Marthas. The Marys are the ones who sit and listen to what Jesus says. The Marthas are the one who are busy in the kitchen, working, 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 working. Not for herself. Oh, no. She's working for 13 people who come for lunch. And she's slogging away in the kitchen. And you think that... I mean, if you went into that home and you saw Mary sitting there lazily listening and Martha slogging away, perspiring in the kitchen, working for these... cooking a meal for these 13 hungry men. I'm sure most of us would think, Martha is the spiritual one. What's this lazy sister of hers sitting here? That's exactly what Martha also thought. And she thought that Jesus would take her side. Boy, what a surprise she got when she came before Jesus and complained about Mary. And Jesus said, Martha, you're the one who's bothered about a lot of things. Do you know that only one thing is needful? One thing is needful. That's Luke 10.42. And Mary has chosen the good part and nobody's going to take it away from her. Have you learned that one thing is needful? What did Mary do? She listened. But she wasn't a nun just sitting there in a convent listening, listening, listening all her life. She served. She listened and served and listened and served and listened and served. That's how we're supposed to do. How was Jesus? Did His listening um, just make Him sit forever? No, there was a time came when the father said, go. He quit everything. And went. And he did more in three and a half years than other people have done in three thousand years. Why? Because he listened to his father. So, when we come to the end of time, and we stand before the Lord and our works are evaluated, you'll see the Marys and Marthas very clearly. You'll see the martyrs were the ones who were moved by human manipulation and did a lot of things which impressed people. Their statistics were great. How much they cooked for the Lord, how much they served the Lord. and Even today statistics are very impressive. And the Marys are not very impressive today. But you wait till eternity. You wait till Jesus comes. And the first will be last and the last will be first. And you'll discover... That the people who learned to listen to God like Samuel, like Jesus and like Mary were the ones who built with gold, silver and precious stones. There are a lot of things which look very impressive in the short term but which are not long lasting. I want to know whether a building is going to last for 30 years, 50 years. I don't want to know whether it's going to just last for one year. Somebody puts up a... Fantastic construction so quickly, like the foolish man who built on the sand. His building came up very quickly and he hardly spent any money on it either. And the, here was the other wise man digging away, digging away into the rock and laying a foundation. By the time he laid the foundation, the other man had completed his house. Who looked wise in the eyes of the earth? The other man. But wait till the flood came. And when the flood came, you discovered pretty soon who was wise and who was foolish. My dear brothers and sisters, <coughs> In the best of churches, I have found people preaching things which are not found in the Bible. In the best of churches, I have found people using the methods of psychology. Even illiterate people who have not been educated in psychology are using the methods of psychology because they have been influenced more by the preachers in their time, and the books that other preachers have written, more than they have been influenced by the Bible. They're not like the Burians. And I tell you, particularly here in the United States, there's so many Christian books, so many types of pressures put on preachers and a lot of it comes to India too. And I see a lot of people in India influenced by these things and I decided long, long ago, I don't care what anybody from any country says. Show it to me in the scriptures. Show it to me in the life of Jesus. That's why I've been protected from a lot of false, spiritual gifts and a lot of false healings and healing crusades and I believe in healing. I believe there are miracles taking place in healing in India, but that's mostly in the places where the gospel is going for the first time. Many people don't realize that in the Acts of the Apostles, wherever it mentions healing, it's always in the frontiers where the gospel is spreading newly for the first time. And wherever the gospel is spreading newly for the first time, God still confirms His word with signs following. Yeah, we've seen in um, villages where the gospel is gone for the first time, demons cast out, sick people healed. It happens. But it doesn't happen so much in, in, in where the gospel is already being established, where church is established. It didn't happen in the first century. There were, I mean, I told you, Paul and Timothy were sick. But wherever the frontiers, wherever the gospel is going out for the first time, even today, like in the first century, God confirms His Word with signs following. But if you stick to the Scriptures, and you see the way Jesus did it, you will not go wrong. So how did Jesus do His ministry? It's very important to understand these principles. First of all, I told you, He could live for 4,000 years in heaven and see thousands going to hell and not, not move. He'd come to earth and live for 30 years making stools and benches while millions are going to hell. And He didn't have this tremendous urge to go here and there and everywhere. He never even wrote a book. Now I'm not saying, therefore we should not go to Africa or we should not write a book. That's not my point. My point is, what we learn from Jesus is to listen and to do what the Father tell, tells. That's all. And to stop that. And when the Father says, says, your work is over, ready to go. Father, only three and a half years of ministry. Is that enough? That is enough. Because God, man's calling is not to run around doing this, that and the other for God and get a personal satisfaction. You know, You know, I know your nature because it's the same as mine. We get a a certain satisfaction out of having done something for God. We get a certain satisfaction out of supporting some orphan in some poor country. It, it, there's a satisfaction we get. It's, it's similar to sexual satisfaction. Some other guy gets satisfaction out of sex. You get satisfaction out of supporting a poor orphan. in some. It's your personal satisfaction. You don't realize that in supporting that orphan, you are just as self-centered as the other fellow who gets satisfaction out of sex. It's just that your satisfaction is another area. But it's you in the center still. I am helping that poor orphan. Oh, I gave some money for those widows. You know, this is... You don't realize it. And that's why I say the most important thing is to listen. Jesus said nothing about that. There is nothing of that about Him. Look at the healing ministry of Jesus. And compare it to the healing ministry today. I don't know whether you've seen... um, I, I don't go to healing crusades, but I've seen some videos and... TV shows of these healing crusades. Christian healing crusades and different people and uh, these people are brought up to the uh, platform and made to testify as soon as... And usually it's some invisible thing, you know, I, I could hear only 60% now I can hear 70% or something like that. Uh, or there's some pain here or something like that. Or people getting up out of a wheelchair. I mean, I see people getting out of a wheelchair in every airport I travel in. People are being pushed to the wheelchair to the, uh, to the aircraft, and then they get up from the wheelchair and walk in. I see it every day almost whenever I that's not something spectacular. So when I see that in the healing crusade, I'm not that impressed, because most people who are on wheelchairs can walk a little. Where's the type of healing that Jesus did, which is the only thing like Dr. Luke wrote about, like people's eyes, bl- eye blind eyes were open and things like that. it just isn't there. A lot of people are being fooled and deceived. By a lot of psychosomatic, that means illnesses that are healed through changed mental attitudes. And people are being deceived. But the thing I wanted to mention is, when Jesus healed a person, listen to this, His aim was not thereby to prove to everybody, did you see that? I've got a healing gift. You know, a lot of healing ministries I see today, Um, I don't want to mention any of them, personally. I mean, they may be good men. I just say, I don't agree that uh, I'm not here to criticize them. But I say, what I see in Jesus is something different. Um, There there was a children's rhyme we used to uh, sing as children. A little Jack Horner sat in the corner. He put in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, what a good boy am I. And it's something like that, a lot of ministries I see today. Here's this guy, he's healed you see what a healer I am? Jesus never had anything of that. He was only concerned that this poor man who's been suffering should be healed. That was all. He didn't want to convince anybody that he was a healer. He didn't want to convince anybody, do you see what gift I have? There's none of that. There was not an atom of that in Jesus. The real Jesus, when He healed a person, He didn't even want anybody to know about it. He said, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Just keep it to yourself. Because his only heart was after this poor man whom the devil's harassed for so long with the sickness. He's got to be healed. That's all. And when the person was healed, Jesus happy, he didn't want anybody to know about it. Have you ever seen a healing ministry like that in the world today? I haven't. I'm looking for it. How is it that we have this other type of healing ministry? Can you imagine Jesus standing on a platform today with the spotlight shining on him? Come up here. Tell tell the people what what I did for you just now. The Father did it. Of course, I didn't do it. You keep giving glory to the Father. But you know the whole spirit of it is so different. And at the end of the program, Jesus says, Now, fellas, we need a lot of money for this ministry. Now, Judas Iscariot will come and give a little talk about how much... Money is needed for this ministry. And he gets up and gives all the statistics of the number of fellows healed and the number of countries we're traveling to. Come on, give out your tokens. And if you send so much, I'll send you this little book. Can you imagine Jesus doing this? Which Jesus is this? Is this the Jesus of the Bible or not? Do you know the number of Christians who sit with their mouth open watching all this? Saying, boy, this is God. That is the amount of blindness there is in Christendom today. I say, I'm a Burian. Show it to me in scriptures. I will also sit with my mouth open and swallow it. But show it to me in the scriptures first. Don't tell me it works. They go to Lourdes with the holy water, the Roman Catholics, they say, that works. We've got places in India where people say they go to some Hindu pilgrimage center and say, we got healed over there. We went to this pilgrimage center. and We got a little baby. Don't tell me these stories. I'm not interested. Show it to me in scripture. Show me Jesus doing it. Show me the way Jesus did it. And I'll follow it 100%. I'll accept it. I'll preach it. But if you can't show it to me in Scripture, I don't care which Tom, Dick or Harry does it. You know, have you ever heard anybody exposing this type of thing? People are scared. You say, oh brother, don't talk against the Holy Spirit. Some calamity will hit you. Don't talk against the Holy Spirit. You may commit a sin which will never be forgiven. the, The only verse they know is, don't speak me as the Holy Spirit. They don't know the other verse in 1 John 4, 1 which says, My beloved children, don't believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are of God. And then only believe it. Don't just swallow it. And if spirit, a spirit does not confess that Jesus came in the flesh, it's not of God. That means, do you see Jesus in the flesh doing that? That's 1 John chapter 4. Do you see Jesus in the flesh doing that or not? If you don't see Jesus in the flesh doing that, Brother... Forget it. People asked me the other day, somewhere, what, what do you think about these people who lay hands on people and people fall down? I said, I'm not here to criticize anybody. But all I want to say is, Jesus never did it. I see Jesus picking people up who have fallen down, not, not uh, pushing people down. And um, he says, what about when people are struck with the glory of God? I say, yeah, I see that. I see John the Apostle struck with the glory of God in the Isle of Patmos but he falls with his head down before Jesus first not showing his legs to Jesus and falling down the other way. You know, I don't know whether you folks know this but in India we know it very well. The way to insult a person listen to this. I mean, Jesus is... Uh, Chris, the Bible is in, in an Eastern culture and I understand it better in India than folks in the West do. If you want to insult a person show me your feet. If you want to Respect a person, bow down and put your head down. And when you fall backwards and show God your feet, do you know what you're doing? You're not respecting Him. It's the biggest form of insult in an Eastern culture. And the devil's got all these people fooled that they're worshipping God. They're not worshipping God. Everyone's showing their feet to God and insulting Him. I'll tell you what they should be doing. They should be falling on their faces with their head down. Don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are of God. Be rude, do read in the Bible that demons cast people down. I've seen cases like that myself, where he cast out the demon, and the demon threw the fellow down. I had to pick him up. So, there are so many things. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, you see clearly what is right and what is wrong. You won't be deceived. And there are things, it's very easy to see what somebody else is doing wrong, but the important thing is for us to see what we're doing wrong. Where are we also perhaps doing it in a different way from the way Jesus did it? So, it's not just those other people. I mean, there may be things which I said today which concern you. Take, you know, Jesus' whole attitude towards the ministry was, I want to do exactly what my father says, I want to listen And he believed, you know, like he taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven. That means I've got to think of two things before I pray. One is that I've got a loving Father who's up there in heaven. Uh, A loving Father, first of all, but one who is in heaven, which means one who controls everything that happens in, in the universe, including the earth. I've got to think of that before I pray. That's how I get faith. Our Father, who art in heaven. Two things. A father, which shows me I'm, I'm the object of his love. I'm God's favorite. You know, you're God's favorite too, by the way. He's got many favorites. It's not just me. To, to look up to him and say, I'm God's favorite. Dad, I'm one of your favorite children. Do you believe that? You know what the devil tells you, oh, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. He keeps telling you that till you believe it. Don't you believe it? You're God's favorite. Look up to Him and say, Dad, I thank you. I'm your favorite daughter. I'm your favorite son. Jesus said, pray like that. And one who's in heaven. That's the second thing we need to know. One who controls everything that happens on the earth. Do you know one of the most fantastic statements of the sovereignty of this Father of ours in heaven was made by a heathen king. I tell you, what he says puts a lot of Christians to shame. I want you to turn you to what a heathen king said in Daniel chapter 4. When he got a revelation of God, he said, this is Nebuchadnezzar. Perhaps he got converted. I don't know. Maybe we'll meet Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Because look what he says here in Daniel 4.35. When he learned a lesson, God taught him a lesson. And when he learned that lesson, he came to his senses. You know, he became mad for a season because he was so proud. But then it says in Daniel 4.34, I raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High. And I said, His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom from generation to generation. And Daniel 4.35 is the verse I was referring to. The most complete statement on the sovereignty of God ever expressed by a human being that I have found in the scriptures. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as zero. You put all the inhabitants of the earth, and there's six billion of them. In God's eyes, they are zero. That person who scares you, that person who's your boss at work or your landlord or whoever it is, in God's eyes, they are zero. The person who's trying to harass you, he's zero. The person who's taken you to court. He's zero. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as zero in God's eyes. And God Almighty does exactly according to His will in the host of heaven. In heaven, He does what He wants to do. And He does what He wants to do among the inhabitants of the earth. And in heaven and on earth, no one, no one can stop His hand from doing what he wants to do, or say to him, what are you doing? And you start praying. You'll have a lot more faith. But how is it with a lot of us? We have a problem, some small little thing, and we worry and worry. Do you think God can handle that? Is it big enough? And I say, listen, do what I do. Sometimes I sit, um, I look up outside when it's a clear sky, and I see the stars And I've studied a little bit of geography, like you have. And I know that the stars are so huge and so far away. And this universe is so big that the earth is like a small speck of dust in the universe. It looks very big to us, this earth. But in terms of the whole universe, if you were looking at the earth from heaven... With all the millions of stars scattered through millions and millions of miles, the earth would be some small little speck over there. That's what the earth is. And on this earth are still smaller specks called you and me. Don't ever forget, get a proper estimate of your size. Small little speck walking around this earth. And this small speck, who is living on this small speck, has got a problem. How big is that problem? And this almighty God who runs this universe is wondering how to solve this problem for this small little speck, on this small little speck called planet Earth. Have you ever thought of anything more crazy than that? I look at that, my faith is strengthened. That this one who runs this universe is my dad. He's my dad. That's what happened to you when you were born again. He became your dad. Call him dad. The Bible says it's one of the first marks of the Holy Spirit filling a person. In Romans 8 verse 15 and 16 it says the Holy Spirit comes within us and cries out Abba. That's Hebrew. Let me translate it into English. Dad! (laughs) I wonder why no translator had the guts to translate that Hebrew word into into English. Father is the next word. "Abba, (laughs) Abba, Father? But Abba is Hebrew. I mean that's it's like hallelujah hallelujah is a hebrew word i remember i was in germany the other day and i uh, i came to the airport and there was a turkish brother there who had who had to meet me he knew turkish and german but not a word of english and i knew english and not a word of turkish or german and uh, we didn't know we had never seen each other how to identify each other i said hallelujah he said amen <laughs> 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 it's good for such <laughs> hallelujah and amen <laughs> but when I talk to my father in heaven I don't say Abba because Abba is a strange word for me I don't even know what it means it's some Swedish singing group I think but <laughs> I'm not interested in Abba <laughs> I said dad <laughs> that's what I do ok so Here's my dad. He's the one who runs this universe and this small little speck. I always like to think of planet Earth as a small little speck in this universe that's run by my dad in heaven. And um, uh, you know different times when we have to catch flights and things like that. I say, well, my dad runs the airline, so I suppose he can handle that problem too. I remember I was traveling with... I used to work in the Navy. And uh, some years ago, uh, I was traveling in a plane in India. And there's a senior naval officer who happened to be my colleague. Who was, we, studied, we studied together when we were younger. And he was sitting next to me and we were flying up to Delhi. And suddenly the plane went through one of these deep air pockets. It went up and down and up and down. <laughs> and he held my hand and said, Zach, I know nothing will happen to this plane as long as you're in it. <laughs> Because he knew me from 40 years earlier that I had preached Christ to everybody, all of my colleagues. They knew where I stood. He remembered that. You know, They don't forget, I tell you, you witness about Christ. You, you meet a saint and you'll never forget him for the rest of your life. You've got to be like that to other people. But that's what I believe. Our dad runs this universe. I'm not saying we'll never die, but it won't happen before God's time. It cannot happen. I'm not afraid of cancer or car accidents or anything, because I've got a dad in heaven who's planned every day of my life. And I have this wonderful promise in the book of Exodus. And chapter 23. In Exodus chapter 23. And it says here, Uh, I'm getting old. Can't find the verse. Okay. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 26. The last part. I will fulfill the number of your days. Have you heard that? You say that was old covenant. Right. Is the new covenant better or worse? What do you think? (laughs) It's better. I say, Lord... That's for me. You're going to fulfill the number of my days. I don't know how long that is. It doesn't have to be long. For Jesus, it was only 33 and a half years. For John the Baptist, it was also around that time. For David Brainerd, the missionary of the Red Indians in the 1700s, it was only about 29 years. For some other people, for Pearl, it was around 67 or 68, I don't know. For the Apostle John, it was 95 or 100. It's different for different people, but he'll fulfill the number of our days. Jesus was absolutely sure of that. His security was in the fact that He trusted in the Father's love. Turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. It says here that Jesus was preaching in a synagogue in Nazareth. It's the first sermon He ever preached in His hometown in Nazareth. Luke chapter 4, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. 16, Luke 4:16. You know, one of the amazing things I've, uh, I, I see about Jesus is that he, he, as a little boy, he used to go to Nazareth to the synagogue. And he knew the Bible by the time he was 12. And can you imagine, he sat there for 18 years listening to all these boring Pharisees preaching away in the synagogue every Saturday and he just kept quiet. That's a miracle. How can you keep quiet when you know so much? And these boring people get up and bore you Saturday after Saturday. You know, he never spoke till his father told him to speak. Oh boy, I have learned so much from looking at Jesus in ministry. As a young preacher, I said, Lord, I don't want to pattern myself after these American preachers who jump up and down the platform with a mic to their mouth. I mean, if I see Jesus doing that, I'll do it. I want to see how Jesus preached. How did He preach? And I, it doesn't say exactly how He did it, but I get a certain picture when I read the, when I read the Gospels. I say, Lord, I want to preach like that. I, I don't care how long it takes. And I learned a lot of things. I made a complete study of the Gospels, of Jesus, and my example as a preacher. How He did, the subjects He spoke about. Uh, if you're serious about wanting to preach like Jesus, I would encourage you to study the Gospels. See how Jesus preached. The subjects he preached on. One of the things I've encouraged people to do recently is, if you've got a red letter Bible like mine, where all the words of Jesus are in red, do this Bible study once. Go through only the red letters. Only the red letters. Through the four Gospels. It's been a very interesting study for me. Because, and as I went through the Gospels, I wrote down uh, what are the subjects Jesus preached on. It's not a very big list. I'll just mention some of them. I wrote down, he preached on... The first thing he preached on was repentance. I said, Lord, I want to be like that. That's Matthew 4. And then I, I just went through the red letter portions. He preached on poverty of spirit, mourning for sin, gentleness, purity, forgiveness, mercy, persecution, being persecuted by others, witnessing, obedience, anger, sexual sin, truthfulness, perfection, not seeking the honor of men, giving, praying, fasting, love of money, anxiety, seeking God's kingdom, not judging others, hypocrisy, faith, false prophets, deceptive miracles, a simple lifestyle, boldness, breaking with old traditions, praying for shepherds to be raised up among God's people, the dignity of a preacher, fearlessness, being radical. I went through all the four Gospels and I learned a lot about the subjects Jesus preached on. And I say, Lord, I want to be like that. I want to spend my life preaching on the subjects Jesus preached on. And I want to be like Him. He never preached on making money or prosperity. He hardly ever preached He never preached a single sermon on healing. Did you know that? I'm a Burian. Show me a single sermon Jesus ever preached on healing. He healed thousands. But He never preached a sermon on healing. Today we have thousands of sermons on healing. And hardly anybody healed. That's the difference. Jesus was different. He had the gift of healing. I don't have it. But people who claim to have it, I wonder whether they have it either. They preach a lot about it. If you look at Jesus, I tell you, it will completely change your understanding of Christianity. A lot of people's understanding of Christianity has not come from the Bible. It's come from books that they've bought in Christian bookshops. They've been influenced by it. They've seen television programs of Christian preachers. And they're not Burians. They don't study the Scripture. They're too lazy to read the Gospel. They're too lazy to study the life of Jesus. And they think they are Christians. And look at their life, defeated by sin. Look at their family life, shallow. It's because they don't study the Scriptures. Why not get back to the Bible? Why not come to the Bible and see how Jesus was? The real Jesus. Did He try to manipulate people psychologically? Did He try to play music to get people to move, to take a decision? Never! He depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. He did not need any solos or quartets or anybody else to stir people up. There's nothing wrong in all this. But He depended on the Holy Spirit. You know what's happened today? Because the Holy Spirit's gone... People depend on music. Ah, oh, let's get the choir to sing. We've got to get people moving now. It's all psychological manipulation. I, I, I wish your eyes would be open to see it. Go to the scriptures and see how Jesus did it. Music has replaced the Holy Spirit in many, many churches. I've often said in our home church, I don't want a single person To be attracted to our church by our music. I remember once, very clearly, a very musically gifted couple. Husband and wife were both musically gifted. Came to our church for the first time. And that particular day, a lot of things went wrong with the music. And I wondered why. God was doing it for that musical minded couple. They never came again. I said, thank God. We're not seeing to draw people with music. We want to draw people with the message of godliness. Godliness. And holiness. If you're interested in that, come here. If you want to listen to good music, there are a million other places in the world. Go there, you come to the wrong place, brother. And the other thing that you find has replaced the Holy Spirit is money. Music and money are the two things I've discovered has replaced the Holy Spirit in today's Christianity. How much did Jesus use music? I'm not against music. We read in the Bible that Jesus sang a hymn and I'm willing to sing a hymn. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that He leads the praises of His people before the Father. I believe in that. Praising God, worshipping God. But I don't depend on that to manipulate people. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus was, Jesus was so excited when He saw the children praising and shouting God in the temple. And those long-faced Pharisees said, Lord, will you please tell these uh, children to keep quiet? But Jesus was so excited. You know, he came from heaven where everybody's praising and shouting hallelujah and it's like loud thunders over there when they praise God. And he came to this earth where people are grumbling and complaining and murmuring and he felt homesick for heaven. And when he saw these children praising God, he said, hey, there's a little bit of heaven I see here in this, in this temple. Everybody's shouting and praising God. Reminds me of heaven. And the long-faced Pharisees said no. And Jesus supported those children. He said if they stopped crying, these stones will start crying out. God is to be praised. So he believed in praise, but what I'm saying is, he did not believe in manipulating people's feelings by music. That's what I'm talking about. Don't misunderstand me. I'm a great worshipper in praise. When we have our Sunday meetings, we spend 45 minutes praising God with drums and guitars and keyboards and everything. We make a joyful noise in the Lord. We don't just read Psalm 150. We practice it with timbrels and everything else. That's what it says there. We haven't got to dancing yet. I mean, that's, we haven't got that far. <laughs> but that's partly because we don't want to cause offense to anybody. We try to uh, not offend people unnecessarily. But the point is this. Jesus did not manipulate people with music. And what about money? Do you know the amount of emphasis there is in mo- on money in Christian circles today? It's almost as though God's work cannot go forward without money. Now you go to the scriptures and see the real Jesus. What was his attitude to money? It's so important for us to understand this because if you don't see Jesus' attitude to money, you'll go all wrong. Why? Because there are only two masters. God and money. Jesus said that in Luke 16, 13. Only two masters and you can't serve both. And the trouble with a lot of people in Christian work today is they're trying to serve God and money. I see that in India. I see that in the United States. I see it in every country. Because most countries copy the United States, unfortunately, in Christian work. And it's, God, it's God, they're trying to serve God and money and it doesn't work. It's like trying to mix oil and water. When you mix oil and water, it's not good for your car and it's not good for drinking. If you keep it separately, the oil is good for your car and the water is good for drinking. And when you keep God and money separate, that's fine. Money is good in the business world. Let them do that. God is for Christian work. You can't mix God and money. Jesus made that so clear. I remember his... As a young Christian, I began to seek God about, Lord, how can I be your mouthpiece? How can I be like Samuel? It says about him, every word that he spoke. It's an amazing verse in 1 Samuel 3. I don't have time to show it to you. Not a word that he spoke dropped to the ground, it says. Every word that he spoke went straight home to people's hearts. I said, boy, I want to speak like that. And then I read another verse in... um, Luke 24, where it says Jesus walked with the disciples to Emmaus, Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven miles. It took him two hours to walk. From, and it was a two-hour Bible study through the Bible from Genesis to Malachi, showing them the scriptures. And at the end of the two hours, you know what those people said, those two disciples? Didn't our hearts burn within us? And I said, Lord, I know... This is the mark of Jesus speaking. When Jesus speaks in a meeting, my heart must burn within me. If my heart doesn't burn, then Jesus isn't speaking. And it was a two-hour Bible study. And their hearts were burning for two hours. And I said, Lord, are you the same? Yesterday, today, and forever? Can you do it today? Can you do it through a human being? Yes. But we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He was anointed with the Spirit. That's why he spoke like that. And I want to say to you, any of you who are called to minister the word, I'm not talking about everybody here because not everybody's called to minister the word. But if you're called to minister the word and you speak and people's hearts don't burn, I'll tell you what you should do. Get on your face before God, repent, fast, and pray, and seek God and find out the reason why not. Jesus is not speaking through you. Now, I wanted Jesus to speak to me and I. And the Lord said, You've got to be careful in two areas if you want to be my mouthpiece. Two areas. Luke sixteen, eleven, if you're not faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will give to you the true riches? The Lord said, First of all, be faithful with money, otherwise I'll never put my word into your mouth. And then I understood why God's word is not in the mouths of many preachers today. They're not faithful with money. I don't know their private life, but when I listen to them I can make out, hey, this guy's not faithful with money. That's why he's not he doesn't have a word on his mouth. God hasn't given him riches. God hasn't given him revelation on His Word. I I listen to people and I don't hear anything new from Scripture. That means, new from Scripture, God has to show you the riches of His Word. And He'll never show it to you if you're not faithful with money. The second thing God said is, Be faithful with your mouth. Jeremiah 15 verse 19. If you separate the precious from the non-precious things in your conversation, you will be like my mouth. And I learned that I had to be extremely careful with what I speak in ordinary conversation. I've got to get rid of a lot of things in my conversation. Rude words, angry words. If I slip up, I've got to go to that person and ask his forgiveness. And I've done that. I've done that to young people. I'm saying, I'm sorry, brother. Uh, I, I slipped up there. That's not the way to speak. Forgive me. I do that to anybody. I do that to a beggar on the street because I want to be a mouthpiece of Jesus. Are you willing to apologize... Every single time you hurt somebody and you know you hurt him or her, are you willing to write a letter of apology? Are you willing to humble yourself if you hurt your wife three times a day? You go three times a day and say, I'm sorry for hurting you. I tell you, God will see that you mean business with Him. We have a bunch of lazy Christians nowadays who want to be God's mouthpiece, but don't want to pay the price. They're careless with their speech. We've got to be careful. The Lord told me, eliminate words like, didn't I tell you? I told you so. Are these words found in your vocabulary? The great expert telling other people, didn't I tell you that would happen? How many Christians speak that and they don't realize? That's not the way to speak. God can say that, not me. I'm a fallen sinner talking to another fallen sinner. I've got to encourage him. Not tell him, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? We're so careless with these words and we want to be God's mouthpiece when we stand in the pulpit. Not in a thousand years. Jesus was very careful with his speech. Very careful. He was extremely careful with money. That's why he, he would sometimes sleep under the trees. He was careful with money because he knew that a lot of that money that people gave was given by Poor widows and different people. And he couldn't just use it as he liked. I remember one of the great missionaries who came to India 200 years ago, William Carey. I'll never forget the words that he spoke to his son who was his co-worker. I wrote it in the front of my Bible as a young man. His son's name was Felix. He said, Felix, money that's given for God's work is the most sacred of all the money on the face of the earth be very careful how you use it. God used that man so mightily in India 200 years ago to translate the Bible into so many languages. No computer, no typewriter, nothing. It's amazing what God did through these people. I've studied the lives of some of the greatest men of God in different denominations, Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal, great, mighty men of God, John Wesley, Watchman Nee, different ones, uh, different times in different countries. And I've learned one common thing about all of them. There may be other differences. There were differences in doctrine. Some spoke in tongues. Some didn't speak in tongues. These things were different. But when it came to this area, they were all alike. They were all absolutely faithful with money. Like Jesus was. Jesus never pleaded with people to give money for God's work. Did he receive money for God's work? He certainly did. We read in Luke chapter 8 that there were certain rich women who supported Jesus financially. Jesus wasn't so super spiritual as to say, no, 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 I will not receive any gifts from anybody. That's a lot of rubbish. Jesus served the Father and people. He never asked anybody for any money. Never. He never made his needs known at a single time, if he was starving, he'd keep quiet. He'd tell his father. But it says in Luke chapter 8 verse 3 that certain rich people, Herod's palace manager's wife. Can you imagine what Herod's palace manager's salary was? It must have been a fantastic amount. And if his wife paid a tithe out of that. That is a pretty large amount. And they contributed to the support of Jesus and his disciples. That's how they took care of their families who were back home. Because they had given up fishing. That's how they took care of their needs. That's how they took care of their food. And all that. But he was very faithful. And there were huge amounts of money coming in. He received it. What did he do with it? He didn't go and stay in the five star hotels with that money. That was the difference between him and today's preachers. He was faithful with that. I asked the Lord once. I said, Lord, why does it say in the scriptures... In John chapter 7, the last verse, everybody went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Have you read that verse? Can you imagine at the end of a meeting, a powerful meeting, where Jesus spoke, um, where everybody says to Jesus, "Well, uh, well, Lord, good night, have a good night. And they all go up to their home, and Jesus looking around and He goes and sleeps under the trees in the Mount of Olives. I said, Lord, didn't you have money? Herod's palace manager's wife is giving you money. Couldn't you use that to find a decent place to live? Stay. The Lord said to me that a lot of that money that came in came from poor widows who lived very simply. He could not with a clear conscience, take that money and go and live in grand style. And he went and slept under the trees. This is the real Jesus. Don't be fooled by today's preachers who look for comfort, who want good food. and They won't serve. They won't come unless you give them this and give them that and give them the other thing. Jesus never demanded that if I come there, you must pay my fare. I never see him saying that. He served the Father. He served the owner of heaven and earth. You know, it's such a tragedy that Christian work today is in such a wrong, has got such a wrong attitude towards money. So many people begging and pleading, Oh, God's work is suffering because we don't have enough money. The Almighty is in a tight spot because um, He doesn't have enough money. The pleading that goes on on television, Christian programs, oh, brother, this, that, and the other, and this, and, and uh, over from pulpits, and all of you got to give money, 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 money. I mean, never mind if you have the Holy Spirit or not. We need money. Jesus depended only on the Holy Spirit. He did not dare to serve the Father without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to you, you cannot serve God without the baptism in the Holy Spirit. If If I look at my ministry... My entire ministry is based on the fact that one day Jesus anointed me, baptized me in the Holy Spirit, just like He baptized those apostles on the day of Pentecost, and like He Himself received the anointing when He came out of the waters of Jordan. I, wouldn't, I cannot imagine what my life and ministry of preaching would have been if it were not for that anointing of the Holy Spirit, which I did not receive just once. I seek for it constantly to constantly be anointed, to be constantly be filled, because that's what I see in Jesus' life. The Bible says we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Have you read that verse in Second Corinthians 5? We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. I've said this in India. Now the United States is one of the richest countries in the world, so let me take that example. Supposing, the, supposing I said in, in, in India, I've used this example, Supposing one day a white man comes with a suit and a tie, knocks at your door, and you open the door, and he says to you, I am the ambassador for the United States of America. We're going through a hard time financially, and he comes with a little tin box. Can you give us some money for keeping our country going? You would turn around to him and say, you're a hoax. You can't be the ambassador of the United States of America. You're just pretending. I'm not going to give you any money. Get away. Okay, the next day somebody comes and knocks at your door and says, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. God's work needs money. Can you give me some money? You'd give him promptly. You don't believe he's a hoax. Why is that? Because in your opinion, the United States of America's kingdom is up here and God's kingdom is way down there. But not in my understanding. In my understanding, God's kingdom is way up there. And God's servants are not beggars. And God's servants have got more dignity than any ambassador of any country in the world. Not even the ambassador of some poor African country would go around begging like that. Why do the ambassadors of Jesus Christ plead and beg and plead and beg and plead and beg? I tell you, it's the biggest disgrace. I remember once I had to tell somebody who came like that. I said, brother, you're a disgrace to the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not against people giving for God's work, but this begging and pleading and asking people to give and forcing people to give and then living in grand style themselves with the money given by poor people, this is because people are following another Jesus. It's not the real Jesus in scriptures. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father. As we bow before You. Help us to see more clearly the way Jesus lived on earth and served You so faithfully in every area. And help us to walk in that way. Lord, we pray. We pray to Lord, that we will follow in His footsteps and glorify You.